Want to patent your invention? The chance is near. You've given it heart. Now get it in gear. It's Passage to Profit with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. This is Richard Gearhart. And Elizabeth Gearhart. Welcome to Passage to Profit on WOR 710 AM, the voice of New York. At Passage to Profit, we're all about entrepreneurs and new businesses. People just like our listeners. People who want the freedom and rewards of owning their own business. With all the opportunities available, there's never been a better time to start your own project. One way to get started is to be inspired by listening to Passage to Profit. You'll get great advice from those who made the journey and get great tips and inspiration. So we have moved our meetups to be virtual meetups. So if you go to the Passage to Profit meetup site, you can sign up and we will interview you over the phone. And if you sound good over the phone, then you can come into New York and be on a show to do your pitch. So just Google Passage to Profit Meetup and you'll find us. This week we have as our guest entrepreneur, John A. Hill, a trade show expert. And after that, you'll hear a special short segment about trademarks from Gerhardt Law's very own globetrotting attorney, David Postowski. So after the pitches, you, our listeners, can go to the Passage to Profit page at gearheartlaw.com and vote for your favorite pitch. That's gearheartlaw, G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. You can vote for a week. Everybody only gets to vote once, so get your friends to vote. And you can remember the name of the show by imagining walking down a passage with a huge pot of gold at the end. And always, may your passage be short and your profit be huge. After the break, John A. Hill, stay tuned. You're listening to Passage to Profit on WOR 710, the voice of New York. There's never been a better time to start your own business. The opportunities are infinite and only limited by your imagination and enthusiasm. At Gearheart Law, we believe the most successful companies all have one thing in common. They start with a solid foundation first. Gearheart Law has years of experience protecting entrepreneurs, ideas, and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at www.gearheartlaw.com. Our professionals will create a custom strategy designed to fit your needs and your budget. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection, licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Visit gearheartlaw.com. Together, we can change the world. Visit G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Now back to Passage to Profit. Once again, Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. Our guest speaker tonight will be John A. Hill, CEO of John A. Hill & Associates. John is an expert on trade show marketing requirements, and his business provides trade show coaching, marketing assistance, and training to small and medium-sized businesses. H&A also works with foreign organizations which have products or services that they wish to introduce into the United States. So welcome, John. Thank you. I'm wondering, are trade shows still relevant in today's world where digital marketing seems to be taking predominance over traditional? In 2008, the trade show business went down the tubes, as you well know. And uh, since then, they've been uh, growing at a rate of one and a half to two percent per year. And that, to me, is important. The average show has 2,500 people to 3,000 people. They don't have the big shows in it like they have 10 or 20,000 people anymore. The average show, because it costs so much money to run a trade show and go to a trade show these days. So that's what they're concerned about. If I have a product or a line of products, let's say, and I want to get a booth at a trade show, I'm going to have to, one, be prepared to pony up a bunch of money. 
to probably have marketing things to put around so people know who I am. And then I'm going to have to show up. I'm going to sign up for it. So I guess a trade show is just for everybody who has stuff to put their stuff out there so the people who might buy it for a store or something come and see it. Is that right? When I have a client that wants to do a trade show, the first thing I ask them is, who are you going to invite? Nine out of ten times they say, well, well, I have a database. And I said, okay, who's in your database? You want to invite your clients, your prospects, and suspects to your trade show. What I mean by that is those that are qualified and those that are not qualified that may have an, an interest in your particular product. Those things are very interesting to the people that are, that are going to be there. And the first thing I do is send out an email or a letter or, or, or postcard saying, you know, save the date. And that's where they, most people screw up. Biggest problem is the technology companies. They expect to run a trade show in 30 days, and it takes you months, six months to a year to run a, tra a decent trade show. And to do that, you need to have time in order to plan in order. And I believe, I tell everybody, if you go to a trade show and you don't have a plan, all you are is an attendee with a booth. And wow. to me, that's to me, it's very important. I've been to a few trade shows. It never occurred to me that I would have to invite my own customers or prospective clients to a trade show. But apparently, that's a big part of it. That's correct. You don't want a prospect or a client of yours standing in front of your booth and say, I didn't know you were going to be here. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. As they're looking at the competitors' booths, right? That's right. So when it comes to trade shows, is having a bigger booth better? Not necessarily. I can tell you a couple of stories regarding big booths. Uh, if you remember back in the 70s, uh, Computer Associates had a, a 20 by 40 booth, and he had 13 people in, in the booth. A reporter from Newsday was sent in, and he was not happy, in fact, to go in and check out the different booths from uh, different trade show people from Long Island who were doing a show. And he went in and he talked to, there were 10 or 15 people in the booth that were supposed to be helping uh, potential clients there. And he asked them a question. That's when the TNG, the next generation of products, were coming out. And he asked them, uh, how many have been sold, when, how long was delivery, and so forth. And he got 13 different answers. And he went back and he wrote up an article and put it in the paper. And the next day, CAA's stock dropped a point and a half. Wow, that's like the worst publicity possible. <laughs> oh I'll gosh. tell you, I, what I hate when I go to a trade show is if I'm meeting with somebody who's just hired to do the trade show and they can't answer any questions and they know nothing about the company and they, or there'll be some somebody who's new to the company and they can't answer the questions, they'll say, oh, let me get Mr. So-and-so here to help you. And it's sort of like I feel like I'm wasting my time. So I, I would think an important part of trade show strategy is that you, you've got to have people that know what they're talking about. You have to have a script. There's only five or six questions they ask you. How's, how much does it cost? When can I get it? And how, what's your delivery schedule? That's basically the questions they're going to ask you regarding products. And, and most people realize you don't want salesmen in your booth. What you want is people that are going to ask questions. And, and keep their mouths shut primarily, but, but ask the qualifying questions to the people. You want to qualify a number of people. A salesman get in the booth and spend an, uh, an hour and a half trying to close a particular deal, and yet there'll be 20 opportunities walk by. That's what you don't want. What you want to do is qualify the people. And the qualifications from a trade show are the best qualified leads you're ever going to get. So how do you get those? Do you have some place where they give you their email and maybe you give them a little tchotchke for that? Or how do you get the leads? The people that, you, that you've invited to your booth come to your booth. Okay. Then you ask them, what are they looking for? Because people at a trade show are there to do business. They're not there to just kicking tires like it was in the 70s. They're there to do business because it's too expensive to run a trade show today. And you ask them a question, what are you looking for? 
How many do you want? When do you need it? Those are the questions you ask them. And they'll give you answers, too. The people are too afraid to ask the qualifying questions. But you have to get those qualifying leads. They'll give you the best leads that you're ever going to get in a trade show. Tell us a little bit about the different types of trade shows that are out there. I think, for example, like the car show or the boat show, that's one kind of trade show. But maybe the apparel show is a different show because... And the chocolate show. Don't forget the chocolate show. And the chocolate show. (laughs) Sign me up for that one. But (laughs) there's different shows for different purposes. If you go to dot com, you can find every trade show in the whole United States and and, and the world that are going on right now. There's over 5,000 shows being done. There's not a, a, an industry you can talk about that hasn't have a trade show associated with it. Would you suggest, say, somebody lives in Chicago, would you suggest they come to New York to do a trade show? Would it be better if they just focused in Chicago? It's definitely going to be much easier for them. These days, you no longer think locally. You have to think globally. 53% of the people that are doing trade shows in the United States are also doing trade shows overseas right now, where the first place they're going to is Canada, and after that, they're going to Europe. Uh, we really have become a kind of a flat global world, right? Where That's correct. What do you tell an entrepreneur who has a new or youngish business, or maybe a small business person? They're wondering whether they should do a trade show or not. What are some guidelines and some advice that you can give them? First of all, they must have a database that they can send to. That's very important. I've turned people down because they don't have a decent database to send information to. And then you invite the people to the show. There was a uh, survey done up in uh, New England, uh, and they asked a bunch of CEOs of companies, why didn't you go to a show? And they say, because nobody invited me. 60% of them said, because nobody invited me. So you have to invite people to a trade show and try to invite them to your booth. But if it's like the cookingware show and you're selling stoves, you know that your competitor is going to be selling stoves, and they're going to have a booth right down the, the way. So how do you handle that where you're inviting your client list to go and meet with a bunch of other competitors. You're not. You invite them to your booth first, and that's what you do. You invite them to your booth, and you set a time schedule. Uh, listen, I have between 1030 and 11 to talk to you. Could you be there at that time? You give them an alternate choice. Can you be here 11 or 12 or 10 or 11? Okay, that's what you do, and that's where you qualify them at that particular point. I did a show for a, a company that sold ovens, and he was making ciabatta bread. And uh, he kept making this ciabatta, and, and, and the clients and people were coming over, when are you going to make the ciabatta bread? And I said, wait a minute, are you selling ovens or selling ciabatta bread? And he said, no, uh, but they like the bread. I said, but you're not selling bread, you're selling ovens. Stop with the bread. And he stopped with it, and all of a sudden he sold three ovens, and he didn't sell anything before because people were coming there just to get the bread and not to, to buy the oven. <laughs> Food always attracts. (laughs) I don't know. I would have tried that, but, uh, you know, I'm I'm glad you gave him that advice. So would you suggest if people don't have a big list, first, I guess they can use their website and ask people to subscribe to a newsletter or many marketing techniques. Would you suggest they maybe go online and look at some of the people that might buy their product and just send an email to that company? That's correct. Everybody's interested in, in new products, whether you're a competitor or not. The whole idea behind it is that you... Build a database. You can go to the library and get a database. Every manufacturer of trade shows and so forth still uses postcards. They still have a lot more uh, mailboxes out there, and you should send it out. Not everybody needs an email address to get the information out to people. And you can get your databases at your different libraries. Out in Long Island, it's Miller Business Center. You can buy any type of database you want for any type of customer. I have to tell you the story. When I was a young attorney, 
Uh, I was in Chicago. I was working at a, a smaller law firm, and of course, they had McCormick Center there, which is a huge convention center. They still do. I, I think the first one burned down, but they, they rebuilt it. And so they used to have the consumer product show there every year. And so we usually take a couple of days off. And we just go right down the line and introduce ourselves to uh, all of the consumer products companies. And we start talking about intellectual property. And it turned out to be a really good experience for us. And we found a lot of clients that way. So it can go both ways. If you have a business and somebody's having a trade show, that may be a place to uh, meet new people. In my book, I, I said a trade show coach uh, has to be able to withstand the heats of uh, Las Vegas in June, as well as the cold of McCormick Place in January and February. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got yes. that right. <laughs> yes, and I have your book here. You were kind enough to bring me a copy. Very interesting. Tips and Tales from the Booth, Avoiding Trade Show Mistakes by John A. Hill. And I think you know, it looks like it has a lot of really in-depth content for people who really don't know anything about doing a trade show like me. So if I was going to start, I think I would start here with your book. I focus on the pre-show, show, and post-show where most people fail. And I have other people. I have nine different people that contributed to the book, too. A person that did mailings, a person that does the booths, a person that does the graphics. All those people are I don't expect to be an expert in those particular areas. And most people that I know that are what they call trade show marketeers, they try to be all things to everybody, and I think that's where they fail. And I suggest that I have, if you go to my website, you'll see a number of different trade show manufacturers listed too that I think is very important to have. We've had a number of shows now with different people from different areas, and everything I've heard in common is you have to have a list of people that you can advertise to, but you also, even though it might seem like it's easy to sell on Amazon or do Kickstarter or do a trade show, it's not. And you can't just blunder in, give them the money, and expect success. No. You have to work at it. You really do. And that means that the booth itself is just the tip of the iceberg, so to speak. You need to do the pre-show effort, and that's sending out your mailing. And invite, pick out 10 people that you want to have come to your booth that definitely need, that you know that's going to be interested in your product or service. And invite them to your show. And it may cause, you may have to send them a letter, you may have to send them an email, you may have to visit them. They feel important that, that they want to come to your booth. This week we have as our guest entrepreneur, John A. Hill, a trade show expert. Coming up next, we're going to have David Postowski from Gearheart Law talking about trademarks. We'll be right back. What are entrepreneurs' most valuable assets? Their passion and ideas. We can't protect your passion, but we can protect your ideas. Trust Gearheart Law to protect your ideas with premier patent, trademark, and copyright services. There's never been a better time to start your own business. Contact us at GearheartLaw.com. At Gearheart Law, we have years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at Gearheart Law, www.gearheartlaw.com. Don't let the wrong protection strategy ruin your business. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection and are licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Contact Gearheart Law on the web at G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. Together, we can change the world. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Passage to Profit continues with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. Now it's time for a few words with Gearhart Law partner David Postolsky, who travels the globe giving presentations and spreading the word about intellectual property. 
Today, David will be talking with us about trademarks. Welcome, David. I am super, super excited to be here with you, Richard Elizabeth. I just came from Israel, and I've been uh, kind of around the globe, so I'm happy to be back home in New York and uh, to talk about trademarks, probably one of the most important uh, aspects of uh, intellectual property and probably something that we'll probably hear a little bit about from some of our pictures as well. So what is a trademark? What is a trademark? It is a logo. It is a word. It is a sound. It is a smell. It is anything that is what we call a source identifier. So if I say to you, uh, Apple, you know, most people know that uh, if you hear it, that, that Apple is a company that sells electronics. If I say to you, Crest, you know that that is a company that uh, makes toothpaste. So it's something, it's a word or something that is distinctive. It's, um, if you think about the products you use even waking up today, they're usually a non-descriptive word of what the good or the service is that you're using. You're brushing your teeth with Crest, but that is the name for toothpaste. So if I say to you, uh, Google, Google doesn't sell Googles. You know, right. Apple doesn't sell apples. So why is <laughs> you know? that, David? Why can't they say Apple computers as their trademark? Right. It's because, you know, there's a concept in trademark law, and it's all over the world. It's not just the United States that what you are selling cannot be described as the trademark. So, for instance, if you are selling apples, you can't call your company apples because <laughs> the whole point about trademarks is that you have to be distinctive. You know, so, often, <laughs> so this comes from the government, right? A hundred percent. It's funny. I, I, we, 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 I had a client come in a few, uh, a, a few years ago. They were selling this really cool backpack and... It was yellow, and you know they wanted to call it yellow backpack. And I said, uh, that's probably like the worst thing you can do. You might as well call it banana for all I care, right? I mean, that's that's really what you have to do, and and it makes sense. That's how you stand out. That's how you stand out in the in the digital world, and you know websites and domain names. That's how you become distinctive. That's how you really kind of stand out as a brand. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned Apple, though, because that was one of like the biggest trademark disputes yep. ever between Apple Corporation that sells computers and Apple Music, uh, which was, of course, run by the Beatles. And they went back and forth in litigation for years. And I, I sometimes wonder if Steve Jobs didn't intentionally adopt that mark just in part because he knew that this controversy would give a lot of publicity to his company. And then in the end of the, it didn't matter because Apple Computer ended up acquiring Apple Music <laughs> right. and putting everything on iTunes. So yeah, it was a lot exactly. of time and effort over a trademark dispute. Yeah, for sure. You know, there definitely are companies, inventors, entrepreneurs that really love their names, even though they it may not be distinctive. They really just believe in it and they believe uh, that um, the message they're trying to get across is embodied in the name. And so I respect that people may want to put up a fight for their name sometimes. Uh, and sometimes that fight could uh, have... Uh, uh, Expensive consequences. Uh, correct, correct. <laughs> so, yeah, so along that line, when in the branding process should you get your trademark? Should you do a trademark search before you even choose your name? What do you think? Yeah, I, I think the earlier the better, right? If you if if, if you're already uh, spending money on marketing and websites and flyers and business cards, and then you go see a trademark attorney, and we do a search for you, and it's determined that like seven other companies have a similar name, 
that's really, really bad news to give to someone. Like, oops, like all that money you spent went down the drain. So the earliest you can do it, like, you know, if you have two or three possibilities, let's, let's you know, do a search and pick the best one. In the end, it will be a, 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 a very good business decision as opposed to, you know, spending all the money up front. And you brought up something there quickly that most people I don't think realize. It doesn't matter if the exact name isn't trademarked, right? Yes, correct. I think it's important to, to, to note that you can have other companies that have similar names but are selling different products, but no, in the realm of the internet and Google, that's where there might be an issue. So you can have three companies all have the same trademark and they're all selling three different products, but then you're probably fighting for the marketing space on Google and AdWords and search engine optimization. That may not be something that you probably want to fight for because that could be an expensive undertaking. So why not choose a word that is unique? It makes me think about Spanx. I mean, the lady that invented Spanx actually did a lot of research and found that the letter X is attractive to people for some reason in a name. Some people put a lot of research in this before they even start, right? Yeah. So when I started my career, I worked at a pretty large law firm with with, with companies that spent, no joke, like millions of dollars with advertising agencies just to come up with like the five top names for a new grape. <laughs> they, were, they, they, they sell wine. And so they, they, they wanted to name the grape. And, uh, and, and so you can spend a lot, a lot of money doing this. I don't recommend that. I think for entrepreneurs and startups, there are a bunch of different ways that you can handle this. Think about how you want, like what makes a good trademark. Think about how you want your customer to feel. What is that adjective? And maybe use that, right? That's not going to be descriptive of, the, of, of what you're trying to sell. Mash two words together. The more ridiculous it sounds, the more unique it looks, the likely that it has not been taken. And so you will be the first. So there's a lot of different things. There are a lot of different uh, strategies that you could adopt, and you don't have to spend a million dollars with an advertising agency. David Polstowski from Gearheart Law, one of our partners. You also just recently published a book, didn't you? I did. I'm very excited about it. It was a two-year undertaking. It's all about how to uh, launch and market and protect a medical device in the United States and abroad. It was uh, a really labor of love and... Um, Happy that it's over, but really excited to kind of <laughs> promote and market it. Well, glad to have you here. We'll be right back after this commercial break. There's never been a better time to start your own business. The opportunities are infinite and only limited by your imagination and enthusiasm. At Gearheart Law, we believe the most successful companies all have one thing in common. They start with a solid foundation first. Gearheart Law has years of experience protecting entrepreneurs, ideas, and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at www.gearheartlaw.com. Our professionals will create a custom strategy designed to fit your needs and your budget. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection, licensed, and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Visit gearheartlaw.com. Together, we can change the world. Visit G E A R H A R T. LAW.com. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Now back to Passage to Profit. Once again, Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. And now we've come to the pitch portion of our show. Each contestant will have a total of eight minutes to make their pitch. The first two minutes, they fly solo, and so for that time, describe their project and put it in the best light. The remaining time is for the Inquisition, where they'll be challenged by Richard, Elizabeth, David, and John. That's four against one. To describe their project in greater detail, and convince the audience their project is the best. 
At the end of the program, our listeners will be directed to the Passage to Profit page on the Gearheart Law website where they can vote for the pitch they like best. Our first pitch is by Janide Iqbal, NoDegree.com. I am the founder and CEO of NoDegree.com, a career resource where candidates without college degrees can find meaningful work without sacrificing compensation. We've been conditioned to believe that a college degree is necessary for success. Today, this couldn't be further from the truth. Google, one of the many champion companies, is leading the charge, who not only realize that book smarts don't necessarily equate hard work, grit, or talent, but who also do not require a college degree for some of their top jobs. And speaking of those jobs, Steve Jobs, one of the most successful businessmen throughout world history, did not have a college degree. No Degree is a powerful platform where candidates without college degrees can search for jobs, a place where they can get introduced to many different careers, learn about the skills and abilities required, gain valuable insights into culture, compensation, and learn about the pros and cons of various careers. And it doesn't just stop there. No Degree will link you to additional resources so you can get started down the career path of your choice. A degree was once a guarantee of a well-paying job. Decades ago, one could major in absolutely anything and be assured of a corporate job. Today, a person can have a very specific major and still struggle to find work relating to the major. In addition, many candidates graduate with over $100,000 worth of student loan debt and still struggle to find a decent paying job. More and more jobs care about your skills and abilities as opposed to the checklist you satisfy. No degree is on the forefront of that exciting movement. Do you know someone without a college degree? If so, let them know. No degree, no problem. That was great. So can you tell us about some of the kinds of jobs that are on your website? So for example, this week I published two articles. I wrote about a, what is a welder and what is a glazier. A lot of these jobs are not traditional jobs that you think about. Most kids don't say, hey, I want to grow up and become a glazier or hey, I want to grow up and repair elevators. But these are jobs that are necessary because they fix things in the world around you. So I try to focus on jobs that really pay well. I focus a lot on jobs that require certification because the While it's not a degree, it shows a level of competency. They test you on the knowledge required for the field. So I tend to focus on those types of jobs. So a glazier does what? They So they make the glass. So the buildings, the high-rise buildings, the glass, the custom glasses for stores and in the studio, the glasses over here. So they do that and they fix repair glass. So that's a very interesting job. I find a a lot of the work is very rewarding because you build a lot of things. And I remember when I used to build small display boards for school, it was very satisfying. So it's really satisfying working in these kind of careers. What type of salary are you talking about? Okay, so a welder salary can be as low as 40000 but there are some welders who make well over 200000 A lot of welders for the MTA, especially with overtime, they make well over 200000 And the thing about these careers is, is you get what you put in. So you can make a decent salary of like fifty to seventy k. but if you're really driven and you're really unsure, you can open up your own shop and you can, you know, where the sky's the limit for you. Janine, I have a quick question, uh, My uh, and it's kind of, personal in in nature. My uh, dad didn't have a college degree either, and he was a pretty successful entrepreneur. So I'm curious about your own experience and kind of how this came to be and why. You know, I actually went to graduate school, right? And I had a completely different career. I was an actuary. But all throughout, I went to like a specialized school. And a lot of these environments, like I went to Columbia, and a lot of these environments, you kind of, it was sort of elitist in a way. They kind of saw like, you have to go to school, and that's the only way for success. But the thing is, if you live in NYC, you look at the guys who are working on these buildings and who are doing the construction, who are repairing the elevators, who are working with the forklifts. They have respectable jobs and the city wouldn't run without them. So I tell them, right, 
If you want to go to college and you know what you want to do, it's a great thing. But there are plenty of options for you if you feel that's not because not everyone's good in the classroom. Just like you wouldn't judge a doctor by his ability to change a tire. You know, every job has a value in society. The doctor works with the nurse who works with a lot of the hospital staff, who works with the ambulance driver, who works with the mechanic. If you missed any part of that chain, it simply wouldn't work, right? A hospital needs so many people working in it in order to give the patient the service that they require. Tell us a little bit about the website and how that works and is it simply an informational site or is it a place where employers and um, and candidates can find each other? So it's a search engine. So when you search on my website, all the jobs do not require a college degree. But a search engine is only as powerful as the user behind it. So I find that I need to educate the user. I need to tell them what careers are out there. What is a welder? What does a welder do? How do you become a welder? Do you need a certification? Is it an apprenticeship? When are they hiring? And what resources? So I lead them to like the National Welding Society or for Glazier, the National Glass Association, to link them to resources. Because I find that when a person is educated about the career that they're interested in, that they can do a lot more. And I link them to further resources. So I want to be the A to Z. So someone who's out of high school or who has no idea what they want to do, they come to my site. They learn about the different careers. I also post a lot of content like how to interview because I've worked with many people with college degrees and even PhDs. Some people don't know how to write a resume. I want to help them from the beginning so that when they're applying for the job, because that's not the first step. The first step is researching the job. It's knowing what to expect, knowing how to interview. And then applying for a job is just the middle step. And then after, you have to know how to interview. You have to know how to follow up. You have to know, is this the job for me? I've seen a lot of people, they'll go into careers and they realize it's not for them. So what is your URL? What is the name of the website? So it's pretty easy, nodegree.com. So (laughs) degree with the no in front. That's great. That's great. And can anybody sign up? Is it just you create an account? Yeah, you you create an account. You don't need to create an account to view the articles. You only need an account to apply for specific jobs on the website. Denied. I have to ask, can you talk a little bit about your branding and your trademark? There are over 20,000 job websites in the U.S. And some of them are really niche. Like some of them are just for CPAs in Philadelphia. So, And I feel like a lot of job websites, what they fail to do is brand themselves well. Because a lot of times... You only use a job website because that's what you know. If you know of another site, you're going to use them. You don't have a connection with them. So I kind of wanted to let people know because the people without college degrees, they're a forgotten demographic. Oftentimes they're like, hey, you're not going to become anything. They get their jobs other ways. So I kind of want to tell people without degrees, like, you're not forgotten about. You're still something special. You still have a lot of value to society. So I kind of want to brand them as, look, you're a cornerstone of the country. You're a cornerstone of the workforce and you're necessary. So that's sort of my branding, like, I didn't forget about you because a lot of job websites, they don't have a lot of content. If you go on Indeed, it's actually pretty hard to find out where they host their content. You have to click, you know, go on the bottom right. You have to click on their blog and they have some content. So I really focus on branding through content, through information. And I do think it's wonderful that you are recognizing that everybody in society who does a job contributes. And I think that's very important. Janaid Iqbal, describing nodegree.com. You're listening to Passage to Profit, WR710. Hi, I'm Lisa Askley's the Inventress, founder, CEO, and president of Inventing A to Z. I've been inventing products for over 38 years, hundreds of products later and dozens of patents. I help people develop products and put them on the market from concept to fruition. I bring them to some of the top shopping networks in the world, QVC, HSN, Evine Live, and retail stores. Have you ever said to yourself, someone should invent that thing? Well, I say, why not? make it you. If you want to know how to develop a product from concept to fruition the right way, contact me, 
Lisa Askeley's The Inventress. Go to inventingatoz.com, inventingatoz.com. Email me, lisa at inventingatoz.com. Treat yourself to a day chock full of networking, education, music, shopping, and fun. Go to my website, inventingatoz.com. Passage to Profit continues with Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. Our second pitch this evening is with Karen Humphreys-Salick. She's going to be talking about Contacts 411. You have two minutes. Go. Contacts 411 is a new one-of-a-kind app that delivers the most complete, public, up-to-date contact info with the press of a button. Whether you're looking for update contact information on a long-lost friend or working in nonprofit development, for-profit sales, or any other business where relevant information is key, Contact 411 delivers the most comprehensive, verified information directly to your mobile device. Context 411 is the first app to truly democratize access to quality contact data. We believe that when people can connect or reconnect, that's a good thing. So we've provided access to high-quality, updated information on 220 million-plus U.S. contacts from over 13,000 publicly available data sources. Big businesses have been using this data for years, and we thought that entrepreneurs, small businesses, and really anyone should have access to it too. Our three pillars of focus are quality, ease, and privacy. We only give you back triple verified information, and we'll even confirm that the information you have is correct. Ease, we've made it super easy. We sync with your iOS address book, and with a single touch, you add that new information, or you can text, call, and email right from your phone. Privacy. Privacy and respect are the anchoring philosophies of Context 411. Your information is yours. Unlike some competitors who add your address book to their database to sell that information, any contact information you check against our data sources remains yours and only yours. Your address book stays private to you. Soon we'll add business information as well. So when the time comes that you need to reach out to someone, use the app with the best quality data. You can get in touch with one touch and keep your address up to date. We've also been issued a patent for a capability that we've invented almost five years ago, and we'll be launching that later this year, where an individual can actually determine what contact data is provided to them and whom through that process gets to have it updated. We're very excited about that capability, given the social movement to have control over our own data and information, and also the movement to limit that information and access to public information. We feel like the current environment is very much an affirmation on our original focus on privacy. Today, the app is available in the Apple App Store and will soon be available on Android and ultimately a web platform. In the end, Context 411 is about bringing people together. It connects. We summed it up on our tagline. Don't just reach out, make contact. That's awesome. So thank you very much, Karen. You're a Gearheart Law client, right? So that patent that you got, yay! Absolutely. You <laughs> we guys were some, great and we, so helpful. <laughs> <laughs> we had something to do with that, and, and it's it's really been great working with you. How would somebody use the app? You have your own list of contacts, right? That has to go into the app. So it, it works with your contact base from Outlook or from wherever. Can maybe you explain a That's little bit how that That's actually a great question. In fact, we sync with it, but we don't take any of the data. So what we've done is we've provided an app that will allow you to sort between contacts that have enough information to actually go out to a database and be matched to be updated. You just select it from within our app. It'll sync right to. And at that point, that contact then goes out through actually a secure pipe that we took a lot of time to develop. It gets checked up against this enormous database that has over 13,000 sources. 
And if we've got new information for you, we'll send it back. And one of our unique things is that we actually will deliver back publicly available mobile phone numbers as well as updated address and emails. And like I said before, we're working on business information too. So in one pass, ultimately, you'll get both. So all of this happens in real time. It does, actually. Pretty quick, too, depending on how sharp your internet service is at the time <laughs> or your cell service. We have a 30-day pass for people who are getting ready for a trade show, and that'll cost you $19.99. And you can have an annual subscription for $49.99. That's our lunch pricing because we're just in soft lunch right now. Um, and so that's where we're at. We also, though, know that every day people should get to use the app and so we do have uh, a free plan where you can have up to five contacts a month before you have to pay. Well, I can see how this could really benefit a business, especially because if you're trying to reach your clients or customers and they have changed their phone number or they have a different email address and you lose it, then you've kind of lost that contact, right? That's exactly right, Elizabeth. And it's a great point, which is information actually degrades pretty quickly. In fact, about 2 to 3% of your data every month is sort of old. And I bet you didn't know this, over 10% of the U.S. population moves every year. So it's really important to have the most up-to-date information. And you may think you do, you might not. So that's why we also made sure that the app not only confirms the data that you have, but will bring you new data if we have it. Are there any plans in the future to integrate this kind of contact updating with other types of software programs? Like, so for example, if it, if it did communicate with your email, then you would get the latest email for somebody and you wouldn't have to go back and manually redo it. So that's a great question. Actually, as we're thinking through a lot of the strategy for prioritizing our new initiatives and what we want to actually provide to our customers. I come from a background that's very customer-centric, so we have a whole list of ideas, including actually having each of our clients using the app, having us constantly looking for updates on key clients that they always want new information on. But what we really want to do over time is hear from our clients what are the most important things to them, and that's actually what we'll design into the app, what's the most important thing to our clients. So something like that is on the list, but we're just waiting in terms of, timing for what makes the most sense and what our users really want. One of the most important things you mentioned was privacy. And so obviously our information is very important to us and we want to make sure that it's handled in a very secure way. Can you tell us about some of the steps that your company takes to guard the privacy of that information? What we did was we designed the feed from your phone through our app to through an API call to mm. this database. And I know somebody's going to ask me what an API what is. What is an and API? Let me just tell you, I'm the marketing person in our company, not the technology person in our company. But um, so it's actually a protocol to call the database. And none of the user's information is actually goes through that until they choose the contact. Then that one contact goes to the database. It actually has to sit there while they're searching, and then we send back the new and confirmed information. At that point, we don't keep that information. There is a record that's kept, in fact, that the data was matched or not matched, um, and that the user did actually use it because we have to keep track of what is done. We're also constantly trying to improve our update algorithm so that you get better match rates. I get some spam calls on my cell phone, which I've given my number out. You know, Google has it, so the world has it, right? But I have I block those. So if somebody has blocked someone and they want to get their most current information, how does that work? If you've 
gone to the do not call list, that information will be in our sourced database and we actually won't get it. So if somebody tries to get that new information and you have a do not call on it or a do not share, that will not come to us. But we felt like that wasn't enough. And so that's exactly why the patent that we worked on with Gerhardt Law was so important to us, because we want you to actually, all the users who use Context 411 will be able to use this privacy piece and say, these are the only pieces of my data that I want shared with other people. Or if someone is looking for my information, I want to give permission to the person before you give it to them. And we've actually designed that in, and that's what we have the patent for. I like that. Karen, how can our listeners find you? We have a website. It's contacts411.com. And you can also find us in the App Store. Don't just reach out. Make contact. Contacts411. That's great. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. And we'll be back right after this message. You're listening to Richard and Elizabeth Gerhardt on Passage to Profit, WOR 710, the voice of New York. There's never been a better time to start your own business. The opportunities are infinite and only limited by your imagination and enthusiasm. At Gearheart Law, we believe the most successful companies all have one thing in common. They start with a solid foundation first. Gearheart Law has years of experience protecting entrepreneurs, ideas, and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at www.gearheartlaw.com. Our professionals will create a custom strategy designed to fit your needs and your budget. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection, licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Visit gearheartlaw.com. Together, we can change the world. Visit G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Now back to Passage to Profit. Once again, Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart. We've come to our third and final pitch with Franco and Ricky with Prime 6. Prime 6 is a premium charcoal briquette and the secret actually lies in the manufacturing process. So Prime 6 is very different than most of the charcoal you have out there. Prime 6 is made of condensed sawdust. That influences a lot of things, but the main thing is that we do not have to actively chop down trees to make Prime 6. We collect sawdust, which is a byproduct of the wood industry. We compress it under a few tons of pressure into a designed mold. And the result is a briquette that is unified in density. We then take those molds and we carbonize them for over two weeks uh, in a very high temperature of over 700 degrees. And because of this carbonization process, we actually end up with a charcoal that is 94% carbon which means that you have a very long burn, four hours, a very steady burn because of its density. And because it's 94% carbon, the product consumes itself, which means there's no ash left after you've finished using the product. Now, when uh, I mentioned the molding before, the shape of Prime 6 is also very unique. It's an hexagon-shaped bar with a hole that runs through the center. And the reason for that is uh, a few. So the hexagon shape makes sure that we have even heat distribution all around the product. So no matter how you pile it up, you'll get even heat in your grill. And the hole through the center uh, makes sure that we keep the air flowing so you can't really choke it down. Even if you pile it up, you'll always get that heat burning for the duration of the four hours. So if you're grilling for a whole family, you don't need to lift up your net and change the charcoal while you're grilling. 
So I'm dying to ask, how did you get interested in charcoal? Well, it's a, a kind of second nature to me. I, uh, um, I'm a chef um, by trade, so the uh, importance of quality ingredients is something that has always been involved with everything that I've been doing. And people go to great lengths to get like the Kobe beef or the Wagyu, get the best steak, best marinade. You should also have the best charcoal. Uh, to complete that set. It's almost like another ingredient in your kitchen. It makes perfect sense. I guess I never really even thought of it that way. Is there any odor? Does it change the taste of the food or in any way? Or Well, actually, no. And that's a, that's a good thing because it's 100% natural. There's no binders or any kind of gas. So um, a lot of people don't know that, but the, the taste of the steak is usually a result of fat drippings, touching the charcoal, smoke going back up, and that's how you get the perfect steak. So you'll get a perfect steak with Prime 6. Where are you selling this product right now? So we're launching the product this summer. We have, uh, we're in talks with a few retailers. We also sell it online. Uh, we'll have our own e-commerce store uh, where you can get it there. But we're hoping to get into as many retailers as we can. Franco and Ricky have been uh, friends and uh, are current clients of the firm. And we're really happy to have them here. We'd love to hear, because we were talking about trademarks before, and this is a perfect example of... Uh, kind of distinct uh, and unique trademark. We'd love to hear a little bit about why why the words Prime 6. We wanted uh, to find a name that associates with quality. And the word Prime came to mind after a lot of brainstorming and going back to the, I guess, whiteboard. The 6 in the name actually comes from charcoal. So a charcoal synonym, if you go online, is atomic number 6. And when we found that, uh, we said, oh, my God, this is just meant to be. We have to use the six in, with Prime and make it this distinguished name very unique. Um, and this is when we contacted you and you kind of ran the search for us and reassured us that it's, uh, it's going to work. Well, you have three chemists in the room, so we love that. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought, I thought the six was from the hexagonal shape, the six-sided shape. That one, too. It actually worked out, yeah. So that's great. So how big are the, is it really fair to call it charcoal? Is that the term you use to describe the product? Or? It is. It is actually more charcoal than most of the charcoal out there because of the high carbon rate. Uh, it's an hexagon bar. It's about four to five inches long, and it has a hole going uh, straight through it. It's kind of hard to miss in terms of its uniqueness compared to other products out there. In terms of cooking, how does cooking with propane versus cooking with charcoal compare? Well, in terms of the quality of the end result, cooking with charcoal is always going to be better. Propane is for ease, so it lights up pretty fast, and there's not a lot of cleaning, whereas there's not a lot of cleaning with Prime 6 as well, but the flavor is better. The heat is definitely better, and it gives you more control, I think, and connection with the food that you're cooking. Anybody that watches any of the cooking shows, they usually show a, a grill not run by propane but by charcoal, and that's what they use. That I know for a fact is good because I'm a frustrated cook myself. <laughs> and most, most steakhouses still use charcoal, and I think that's, that's right. a testament to, uh, uh, I'm sure everybody would prefer to use gas because it's easier, but the fact that they stick to charcoal, and if the pros stick to charcoal, I recommend everybody else that, that does that too. So will I be able to get these by next football season for the tailgates? Absolutely. Yay. I'll be sure to send you one. <laughs> awesome. I had one more question. Do you use one kind of wood just for everything, or can we get, like, different flavors of wood? So right now uh, we're not adding flavoring. It's a pretty uh, difficult decision as a chef. We believe that, um, I believe at least, that people should be able to control their own flavor profile. So I wouldn't want to insert anything 
into the product, but that's definitely something that we're going to look uh, into in the in the future. Can you talk a little bit about the cost and the comparison to other charcoals on the market? Yeah, well, so uh, again, because of the different qualities that I mentioned before, when you're grilling with Prime 6, you actually need 30% less product because it's so much hotter it covers more uh i would say square inches you know you see all these people that they go to um, lowe's and they'll, they'll buy this huge bag of charcoal and you're carrying it out and that's the only thing you can carry it's like 22 pounds or something like that um and with prime six the equivalent would be about nine pounds of product at about the same price point and another amazing thing about prime six is if you don't want to grill for four hours if you close uh the vent and cover the lid it will extinguish itself and then tomorrow, you can just open up the grill and keep on grilling with the same charcoal again. How do you plan to market the product? You've got a website. You're you're taking orders now for the well, product? Of course, uh, website, social media. I think every brand, uh, every consumer brand nowadays that, you know, want to kind of get a community behind it needs to think strategically about the consumer and what are the touch points that they can kind of find them at. So whether it's the retail store or online or with influencers or, um, you know, celebrity chefs, um, this is part of our strategy to kind of uh, have that movement of people understanding that charcoal can be elevated to the ingredient level and that elevating this category is something that nobody on the market has done before. That's great. And I do love the clean burning aspect of this because I hate sitting by the grill and having all that smoke on my face. So, But it sounds like it's a premium product. So in terms, in terms of price, are you trying to compete with regular charcoal or are you going to take advantage of the extra value? I don't think we're uh, intentionally competing with anybody. I think once the consumer tries it once, they're going to be hooked on, you know, the level of product and quality that they should have kind of demanded from charcoal manufacturers, and hopefully they'll understand that the premium for it is worthwhile. It sounds like one of the great benefits of it is that it kind of burns itself out, right? It kind of disintegrates. That's interesting. I mean, we all hate going into a backyard and, you know, having to re-charcoal and stuff like that. So how long does it take to burn actually one charcoal down? The burn time of each briquette is about four hours. Uh, or more than four hours. So, and like I said, it, it doesn't uh, disintegrate. It actually disappears. So you're left with almost nothing in your tray. That's awesome. What is your website where people can order these? www.prime-6.com. Franco and Ricky with Prime 6. I can hardly wait for these to come out. I want to try them at the next tailgate. You're listening to Passage to Profit, WR710. What are entrepreneurs' most valuable assets? Their passion and ideas. We can't protect your passion, but we can protect your ideas. Trust Gearheart Law to protect your ideas with premier patent, trademark, and copyright services. There's never been a better time to start your own business. Contact us at GearheartLaw.com. At Gearheart Law, we have years of experience protecting entrepreneurs' ideas and brands using patent, trademark, and copyright protection. So if you have a new consumer product, a new software application that you're planning to build or sell, or a brand or company name that you want to protect, contact the experts at Gearheart Law, www.gearheartlaw.com. Don't let the wrong protection strategy ruin your business. All of our attorneys are passionate about protection and are licensed and qualified to represent you before the United States Patent and Trademark Office. Don't start your project without calling us first. Contact Gearheart Law on the web at G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W.com. Together, we can change the world. This ad has been read by a non-attorney spokesperson. Now more with Richard and Elizabeth. Passage to Profit. And remember, everyone, to go to the Passage to Profit page at GearheartLaw.com. 
spelled G-E-A-R-H-A-R-T-L-A-W, and vote for your favorite project. So to summarize, we had Janide Iqbal with No Degree, www.nodegree.com, N-O-degree.com. And he's providing searching for good jobs for candidates who haven't gone to college. And next we had Karen Humphrey-Salick, who pitched contacts411.com. Don't just reach out, make contact. And finally, we had Franco and Ricky, who pitched Prime 6, Charcoal Burkettes, P-R-I-M-E-6.com. Extraordinary charcoal briquettes that surpass ordinary charcoal in every way. Now, Google Passage to Profit and make your choice. Remember, you can only vote once, and you have until next Sunday at 7 p.m. to vote. This evening's pitch contestants will receive a Passage to Profit t-shirt, and the best overall vote-getter for the week will receive an Amazon gift card valued at $25. Thanks to everybody who participated today. We always love hearing these pitches and hearing the expertise of our guests. And I feel like I'm peering into a crystal ball that shows the future. And I want to say thanks again to our guest, John A. Hill, who took us over the top, if you'll pardon the pun, in so many ways. Do you have any final words or thoughts for our listeners, John? Yeah, everybody asks me about brochures. Do you hand out brochures at a, a trade show? And my answer to that is no. What you do is have a JPEG done and have it sent to them. Why? Because you want to get the information to be able to send that information and then follow up on that lead. That's what you do. If you hand out brochures, 80% of them are thrown away at a trade show. That's great advice. And also appearing this evening was David Postowski from Gearheart Law. David, thanks for joining us. Do you have any final words for our audience? I just want to say that the companies that I heard today are really a testament to how important branding is and it's really important that every company that's listening or entrepreneur listening to really appreciate and understand the importance of trademark and branding. That's great. And you can find out more about David if you're interested at the Gearheart Law website. And again, John A. Hill and Associates. And you can find his book on his website, Tips and Tales from the Booth, Avoiding Trade Show Mistakes. So we'd like to thank our media maven, Kenya Gibson, our producer, Noah Fleischman, Rob the Engineer, and the whole iHeart team. And don't forget to join us next week for even more exciting stuff on Passage to Profit and start thinking about what your pitch will be. And don't forget to like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. This is Richard and Elizabeth Gearhart on iHeartRadio with Passage to Profit, WOR710, the voice of New York. Mm-hmm.